Hey everyone, you're now part of the B2B Power Hour and I'm your host, Nicholas Dickett. I'm Morgan Smith. We help sales professionals power up their sales skills from first touch to revenue, one hour at a time. Join us for weekly live shows and interviews with industry experts breaking down what works and what doesn't in the remote sales era. Now, on to today's episode. Where is the most random, interesting place you ever sourced a deal? God, most. And you have yours, I have mine. I don't know if it's interesting or not. It's just a preferred channel. I mean, Twitter, I feel, is just so underutilized. And so one of my favorite opportunities was sending a video, well, posting it on Twitter and then tagging the prospect in the video. And then I booked a meeting within two hours of posting it. So worked out really well. Nice. Helen got one in jail. (laughs) Clarify, were you in jail or were you working in a jail? (laughs) Actually, you don't need to answer that. It's okay. (laughs) Anthony? Yeah, I think instead of like talking about a channel that I use, I remember when I was in SDR, I was flying on a plane and I bought Wi-Fi and I booked a meeting via an email across like a five-hour flight back to New York. So that's probably the wildest place that I've booked a meeting, trying to make the most of uh, the time, if you will. Nice. I was sitting in a brewery in a little teeny tiny small town that was quite well known for this brewery. And I was nerding out on beer with the gentleman beside me at the bar. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to call my friend and he's going to come and join us. And it was about an hour and a half drive for him to get there. And we spent most of the day there. Well, it turns out he owned a tech company way down the conversation, us nerding out on beer. And he signed and paid before we left the bar and we ended up working together. (laughs) Oh, I love that. (laughs) That's insane. So random. Wow. It's so funny because when I would go to the bar with one of my coworkers, we would go up to people and we'd be like, you know, like, what chat do you have? You know, what do you guys got? And so we would try to understand, you know, okay, what was your company? And it, it became like more fun because it was almost like, a, and it was very early on as being an SDR, but it was very much like, how do I get myself to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and trying to get to know people that I don't know, but also do you need a messaging solution at the same time? (laughs) Yeah. Going, that's kind of the fun thing about casual conversation is that you can go and try coming from different angles, asking different questions or making statements and it's, there's no pressure. And I find that that's the biggest difference. Actually, it's one of the reasons why we do live shows versus podcasting now is when I would hit record, people would change the way they act. And it took away from the quality of the conversation that we would have and the back and forth. Yeah. There's no hiding it here. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. I'm sure there's more than enough bloopers of me saying something silly. (laughs) So I was thinking to start out with, why is it so hard to break into enterprise? Did it just get harder because of volume? Or why is this such a big question right now? when, When I started over 10 years ago, it was never... Everybody talked about enterprise being like where you want it to be, but nobody talked about it being this difficult just to route in. I think it's less of the idea that enterprise is hard to break into more than it is prospects having a bad taste in their mouth with how bad some of the outbound is. And it's not that it's the SDR or the BDR's fault. It's just what people were trained on, like spamming people. You know, you buy this shiny sales engagement tool and just start spamming people. And then I think over time, prospects have become very resistant and they can sniff out an outbound sales message that's very generic. And I think as a result, it's made it really hard for the good messages and the good approaches, people that have a good intention to break through the noise. And I think that's why it's really hard amongst other things like the average buying committee for an enterprise accounts like 10 to 15 people and the competitors in a specific space for a particular offering is growing and growing though like we're seeing some consolidation so i think we're not doing ourselves any favors with the state of how outbound is when we have all those other things at play so i think it's just like been this this hurricane of combination of those things that makes it really difficult and i think the reality is is that there's such demand for coaching and guidance for SDRs and BDRs and AEs for prospecting because they're just not getting the training they need 
to see the results that they want from their manager. And it's not the manager's fault. It's just the bandwidth. And so I think Melissa and I, it's one of the reasons why we post on LinkedIn is to try to help people outbound more effectively and, and with intention. So I'm pumped to be here today. And that's you know my take on why it's pretty difficult, no matter the segment that you're, you're prospecting into. That's really interesting. Even thinking of what Will Allred says about the mental spam filters and that we're just getting really strong mental spam filters. So even a good message isn't getting through. And so you have to be creative and you have to think what's beyond just the inbox. And sometimes it can be really frustrating, right? You're calling, they're not picking up. You know, you're sending them emails. You're noticing that every time you send an email to anyone in that company, nobody's opening. Okay, that's not the channel. Let me try LinkedIn. Ah, they haven't accepted my invite. Let me see if they're on Twitter. Let me see what I can find. And so it it can be really frustrating when you're hitting these roadblocks of like closed channel, closed channel, closed channel. And like, how do you break through the noise? How do you stand out even when those channels are blocked? Um, And I think that as we progress and as we've left COVID, the whole thing that happened, of course, the thing that changed how we sell, because now we sell with the digital first mindset, I think that we're going to start to have that intertwine of in-person and digital ways to reach out to people more. So I'm excited to see some of like the old school coming back of, you know, let's meet up for, let's fly here. Let me, if you're in the States, let me meet you here. Let's go to dinner. That start is starting to come back too, which is exciting. And then I'd say that events, I've always been a huge advocate of events. I think that just giving somebody something And not expecting anything in return, like, hey, we're having this great networking event. Would love for you to join. Let me know. Like, no strings attached. It kind of gets people to, you know, open up and and feel like there's something there, that it's not just about the meeting. And then to add on to that about not being just about the meeting, I think that buyers, especially, you know, in the enterprise, they have been doing this for a long time. They have been researching, you know, what it is that they need. Many don't, many think that they know their pains for sure, unless you have to pull it out and show it to them right in front of their face. But they have this general understanding of what it is that they need and when they need it. So a lot of enterprise for the first couple of months and even the first couple of touches is strictly education. And just educating them on your product. And maybe you're not going to book a meeting right away. Maybe it's going to take a nurture campaign in a couple of months. But you have to be consistent and understand the full picture and know that you're playing the long game. Yeah, there's something to be said for events. I didn't realize how big Saster was going to be when I went. Just meeting everybody in person and that connection you build when you actually meet somebody for the first time in real life. And then, too, you were saying like switching channels. I think a lot of... SDRs don't, nobody's ever brought that up. So they don't even think it's an option of switching channels. Hey, I've been emailing. Maybe I should just pick up the phone and call them. Or, you know, maybe I should try social or a different social channel that maybe like Medium or Discord, try something else because that's where they hang out. I want to ask you two, there's one thing that keeps coming up in consulting calls is why are you calling them? Why are they on the list? Do you find when you're coaching reps that they're not prioritizing their lists. And so it's making it really tough because they don't, they're not really sure what they should be talking about. You have to know why you're calling somebody. (laughs) I'm not just going to call Anthony and be like, oh, just get my dial and I hope he picks up so I can get my 60 in for the day. Like if you're going to call somebody on their cell phone, like, and you're going to interrupt their day, like interrupt them with something good. (laughs) This is where they live. You know, if you're, it's almost like you're walking into their house. Are you going to walk into someone's house and not bring anything over? Like, no, you have to bring something to the table and like really be sure about what you're saying and who you're targeting. And so when I work with my SDRs, it's all about that hot prospect list. Who are the people where, you know, maybe we've identified that calling is their channel of choice We've seen an outreach in the past that they have answered phones before. Okay, great. But that's a good, that tells me that they might answer. But having that hot prospect list and then, hey, they might not answer this month, but next month, do you have a reason to call them? And what do you need to talk to them about? 
and just have that already written out. And I know that Anthony does a really good job and he has a lot of really great tools in his playbook on how to manage these relationships. So I'll let him jump in on his perspective too. Sounds good. My take is if you don't have a reason to reach out to someone, then you shouldn't reach out. I think what we find oftentimes is a lot of times people preach like personalization, right? Like got to make that first line super personalized. What happens is you'll call out like you saw that they like dogs or they went to college somewhere and then the rest of the message will just be super generic and the person will read it. And you have to remember prospects have no idea who you are. They have no idea what you do. And so if you send a message like that, they're not gonna be able to connect the dots in their own mind and they're gonna hit delete and they're going to find it probably a bit awkward. So what I like to preach is relevancy versus personalization because personalization is not meant to be scaled. It should be used very strategically to your tier one prospects and the contacts at those prospect accounts. Relevancy to me is a way to have that reason for reaching out. So how I like to frame it is think about problems that your customers have solved using your solution and what specifically to the persona did they solve? And then using that in your prospecting. You know, there's no reason that we can't prospect the way that we sell to people, which is by solving a problem. Obviously, when you're prospecting, you're not solving a problem. What you are doing is shining a light on that problem and getting them to validate if they have the problem or not. So the best thing you can do to prioritize your list is figure out where are your best opportunities to find those people who might also have that problem that you've already solved. And so it makes it really easy and takes a lot of the pressure off when you're reaching out to someone because you have a good reason to reach out. And so my favorite like cold call opener, when I have prioritized who I'm reaching out to, I feel like there's something really good that I have to offer in terms of why I'm reaching out. And so I'll say something like, hey, listen, I know I'm catching you in the middle of something right now. Mind if I take a moment to explain why I was so intrigued to reach out? And so the person sitting there on the other line, they're like, okay, this person I don't know has something really intriguing that caught their attention to call me. And so they're usually like, yeah, like, what do you got? Or like, what's up? And so I think taking that approach does a couple of things just to kind of round it out. Number one, it allows you to be relevant when you're reaching out, which allows when you're relevant, it allows the prospect to connect the dots of who you are, why you're reaching out and what you're potentially going to help me with. Number two, it takes the pressure off you because all you're trying to do is figure out this person has a problem that you may be able to solve. And the pressure of trying to book that meeting goes away because all we're trying to do is to validate if the person has a problem or not. That's it. That's the point of prospecting. Find as many people as possible that have a problem that you can potentially solve. I love that. I love how, like, when you look at the most, like, even in-mails you get on LinkedIn or half the cold calls, they're the so what pitch. Hey, you got a dog or, hey, we went to college. And then like this, like me, 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 me pitch. It's like, so what? But it's really interesting when you take that approach, that so what never even comes up in your brain. It's that, oh, I never thought of that. Or you're connecting those dots that they never thought about. And so you're leapfrogging into a conversation with momentum and I think it's because of that, so many deals lose momentum because they, they're kind of getting pushed along at the start with something that was a problem not even worth solving or a problem that they didn't deem you know, priority one or priority two. I think it's also really important when you're understanding their problems, also understanding their personal motives. As regular people, what is it that they care about? Something that I do care about is that I do want to make sure that the people that support me are taken care of and doing well. So if someone came to me about how I can help my SDRs or something like that, and let's say that I was in that buying position, that's something that I care about. That's something that I share and that I put out and I want that to be helped or, you know, whatever it may be. But for example, there was a prospect that I worked really closely with my SDR to research them. And we saw that he was really committed to bringing opportunities or digital opportunities to rural communities. So he had this whole blog post about it. So we pulled the article, we went through it, and we said, okay, how can we tie his personal goal of bringing digital opportunities to rural communities? How can our product actually support that in his endeavors to do it? And so we were able to tie all that together with the solution that we had. 
and show like, hey, this is how you can do it. And hey, you are the CTO, right? You can get this done. This is how you bridge the gap of your personal priorities and how you lead every day while improving your entire business. So I think if you're also able to find something that relevancy is key. I do agree. I think relevancy is key. When you can marry those two things together of like personalization with like a personal goal, you know, not just their school, not just their dog, like an actual true goal that they really want to do and pairing that with relevancy. And now you can solve it. I think that that's a really powerful combination together. It doesn't happen every time, but when you can marry them together and it makes sense when they read it, like Anthony was saying, then it's going to go further. Yeah. The first question that comes to my mind is, so how much is enough? Because I have reps that'll reach out to me. Like I've been spending the past two hours researching this account. It's like, I really hope that ACV is really high on that account for two hours. But realistically, how much time would you guys spend initially researching an account? So I'm pretty fast with it. Just because when I had my list, I want to go through this. I want to make sure that I have enough time for this. And I'm also someone that because of my previous experience of being a news reporter, I get sucked into the story and like, I won't stop. So for me, I had to learn a technique. I learned it from Brandon Fluharty when he was um, at the same company as me. And he spoke a lot about the Pomodoro method. And so for me, I broke out my timer and started putting caps on everything that I was doing, which my time for me is about 10 minutes. I'm just, I just need to move quickly. And I also have ADD and I'll just go down the rabbit hole unless I have a timer to keep me in check. So for me, quick research on an account, if I can't find anything in 10 minutes, like a, like a lead, not even a lead as a person, a lead as in something about this account. I see some sort of red flag as to how we can help. That's all I need. If I cannot find a red flag in 10 minutes, I need to move on to the next account because I have a huge account list that I need to go through. You know, if you're building out a territory, if you're in a new region, if you're in a startup, like you only have so much time to work on each account, you have to quickly find the red flags and then you can dive in deeper into the account. Otherwise, if you're spending two hours and you can't find anything, you lost two hours and you probably would have found it in the first couple of minutes. Pomodoro and 10 minutes. Love it. Anthony, how about yourself? Yeah. So I don't know if I have like a time that I could put my finger on, but I'm very hyper-focused on and intentional with how I spend my time. So I think a lot of people preach time blocking and what ends up happening is you'll put like a block on your calendar. That's like eight to 10 prospecting. What happens is I show up to that prospecting block and I'm like, what the hell do I do now? Right. You're still left with guessing. I personally don't like to leave any room for myself to negotiate whether I'm going to do something or not. And what happens is when I'm very vague with my time is I don't like get the things that I need to get done because I have to think about what I need to do. So I literally have every single minute on my calendar block from making dials to sending emails to working my deals to going outside and taking a break to eating lunch to doing my Peloton ride. Like I'm very intentional with my time and how I spend it because I know that if I spend my time on the controllable inputs that eventually the results will come. But I know if I don't execute on those tasks and I don't have it on my calendar, I'm probably not going to follow through with it. And so I'm a big fan of doing what Melissa mentioned, which is like spending 25 minutes, taking five minute break. And so I'll batch out my activities. So if I need to do 30 LinkedIn profile views to confirm the person still works at the company that I'm about to email, like that will be my calendar block for 30 minutes. It's like 30 LinkedIn profile views. And then I'll batch the next set of tasks, which is 20 emails. And then I'm left with a day of completed controllable tasks that regardless of what happened, I can look back and say, well, you know what? I did everything in my control. I can't control if someone's going to pick up the phone. I can't control if someone's going to respond to an email, but I know I can give myself the best opportunity to get those results if I actually execute properly. 
what I like to do at the end of the day, and I also learned this from Brandon from his playbook, is reflect on your day and prepare for tomorrow. I can't tell you how many people I speak with that shut their laptop and don't have a plan for the next day. My favorite thing to do as an AE, because we know we have calls on the calendar, is find those white space times on your calendar and fill them up with revenue generating activities, whether it's moving deals forward or building pipeline. That way, every single day may look different, but you still are making time for the things that are going to give you the best opportunity for success. So again, I may not have three hours a day to prospect on like Wednesday, but I may be able to find two hours without coming up with that plan. I'm going to go into Wednesday with like, what do I do? You know, I got to guess again, giving myself time to negotiate myself for me personally is never a good option, you know, because chances are I'm more, more likely to let my emotions and my thoughts get in the way of what I actually need to do, which is, you know, having the discipline to do the things that maybe I don't feel like doing, like making calls, but I do them anyway, because I know that's what's on the calendar. That's what I have to do. I love it. And I'm not perfect, by the way, you know, I'm not perfect. I don't do this every single day and I still make mistakes because I'm human. But as long as I give myself the best chance to set myself up for success, I'm going to take that that chance. And you probably would never notice that without doing that reflection at the end of the day. You know, half the time we're just we're so busy that we forget to ask ourselves if what we're doing was worthwhile. And I imagine that I run a sales journey at the end of every day, too. I never noticed that until I started doing that. But holy man, did I have to have some tough conversations with myself when I started that exercise. <laughs> I think it can also be uplifting too. I had a couple of people that I've worked with in the past, two in particular that are standing out to me. And it was like, there's just so much that you need to get done in a day that sometimes you get a lot of those things done, but maybe like a little bit of each one. And then at the end of the day, you're like, well, I didn't finish anything. You know, it's almost like you keep starting starting and starting and starting. And so just having that center focus of like, okay, what do I, what are the things that I really need to accomplish today? And I think going back to the activities that you have, like Anthony was explaining some of the activities that he does that makes him successful in his role. And everyone's role is a little bit different, right? Maybe I work a little bit closer with marketing and like Anthony does something else, you know, like we have these little things that we all do. And so I think it's also important to take a look and think about, okay, well, what are my activities? And you start to tier those activities. What are the things that are going to make me money? That's priority. (laughs) What are the things that I have to do? (laughs) Like updating Salesforce and doing those things. Like, do I need to do those things daily? Do I need to do those things weekly? And so just writing down all the things you got to do and then tearing them into what is my priority and what are the things that I need to do every day and what are the things that I can do weekly or biweekly. So for example, like mentoring for me, I was doing that biweekly. So although it was very important to me, I had to focus on, you know, doing what I needed to do. I couldn't do that every single day. I couldn't even do that weekly. I had to do that biweekly. But for, you know, building out accounts, I needed to do that like every other day, at least. (laughs) I had to have a big account list. You have to really go through that. So tiering your activities and then understanding, okay, what is my core like five that I need to do and being able to fit that into your day and just making sure, okay, I did that check. I did that check. I did that check. Very easy to reflect when you see a bunch of check marks next to all the things you you had to do or plan to do. It is not hard to see why you two are so effective in everything that you do and how purposeful everything is. One thing that Andrew just asked, I'm going to pull it up because it ties into this, is how do you make sure you don't get derailed? Mm. Something comes up, you know, is it a fire? Like, how do you, when it comes into your email and it interrupts what you were doing, how do you determine it's worth doing right now? Or what do you do with it? Yeah. Stuff's always going to come up. That's reality. That's life. You're going to have personal stuff that comes up. And this is one of those things where if it's work-related to me, if it's not related to like a hell yes, then it's a hell no, right? Then meaning like if it's not one of those priority deals that I'm working or if it's not like a tier one prospect or if it's not an ask from your AE that's related to maybe one of those tier one accounts, then 
likely it can wait. I used to get so caught up in needing to respond to everything right away. In reality, things can wait. You know, sometimes things can even wait 24 hours. Maybe you get working on a deal or you get an objection from a prospect. We feel this urge to like need to manipulate and control every situation and respond back because we're fired up and we're passionate. But in reality, sometimes it's good to take a step back, right? Now, if there's a deal that you're working that is at a certain stage and there's a fire that you need to put out, then you have to ask yourself, does this take precedent over the calls that I'm making right now? And if that answer is yes, then you need to prioritize that 30 minute block, but don't not make the calls for the day if you can find a, a replacement slot for that, right? So maybe I you know, find 30 extra minutes in the day to make those calls. But again, I think it goes back to what Melissa was talking about is rank out the type of tasks that you're doing, right? It's like, and they should be buckets, right? Ian Cognac talks about this all the time. It's moving deals forward and, and building your pipeline up. And as an AE, you really have to prioritize what activities within those two buckets that you're going to be focused on. That way, if something does come up, you can look at it like, hey, is this a, is a P1 activity that I'm focused on? Or is it like a P3? And maybe I can replace it in that time. Because again, things are going to come up. Well said. I saw that Victoria was here and Victoria is an SDR manager. If you were doing onboarding and you were trying to go and give them advice on bucketing and making sure everything, just giving them a head start with time blocking, what would be your five that you would make sure were on their calendar? And would it be every day just to give people a little head start? For how long? <laughs> how much time are we working with? <laughs> I guess in like maybe 30 minute blocks, for an example. Probably 30 minute blocks. If we just gave somebody like a, an example day, I don't think we necessarily have to go to a week, but just give them something to start with. I think you have to give them things that are also attainable too. You don't want to give them tasks that they are going to fail at. You want to build them up, especially if they're brand new. So maybe hitting 60 dials that day is not attainable for them. Maybe they haven't. Again, you want to call people with purpose. Not a big fan of not calling people with purpose, especially if they're brand new. So I would say, you know, strategic calling, but maybe make it 10 or 15 dials. And maybe it's like, hey, these are the five people that you should target. I think prospecting, of course, setting up that time frame. Account mapping is huge, especially if they're brand new. They need to try to understand what is it that they're solving and how can they identify it from the outside looking in. Looking at that in a more strategic manner rather than just, oh, yeah, like they look like a cool company and they got money. <laughs> like, like really diving in deep to that. I think that that's a core thing. What about you, Anthony? I, I named the obvious top three. Yeah, I think again, like you have to break it down to the role and think about what is going to be most beneficial to win the day. Like what I always look at it this way, like when I'm preparing for my week, I always think about, okay, how would I feel on Friday or what would I have accomplished on Friday if that version of me said, wow, that was a really great week. Think about what do you do every single day to get to that feeling? And how do you embody that version of yourself every single day? That version of Anthony on Friday may look like, hey, I sequenced X amount of prospects per day. I called X amount of prospects per day. I took 30 minutes to myself to exercise per day, whatever it is, figure out what those tasks are for yourself and then execute them. Because that way on Friday, you can look back and say, wow, that was a really impactful week despite the results or lack thereof, I know that I, again, controlled what I could. And so I think for an SDR, it's adding people to a sequence. It's sending those emails. It's asking for coaching or whatever it is, right? Think about those daily inputs that are going to give you the best chance to succeed. I know I, I know I sound like a broken record, but it really is that simple. I like to relate it back to like a weight loss example. And when I really made the change in my life to lose weight, it all came down to like the daily micro habits, right? The 60 pounds that I lost wasn't going to come by me thinking about the 60 pounds. It was going to come by me doing what I needed to do every single day. And so that macro thinking of like, hey, we need to control or we need to focus on what we can control every day and the result will come. I think range true when you're thinking about your role in sales as well and not getting so caught up in the end goal or the end number. It's 
really focusing on the the tasks that are going to give you the best chance to win in the end. Hopefully that was helpful. I know it was kind of like fluffy a bit, but it is uh, true to some extent. It is. And recognizing it too, because so many people, they'll do a lot and they don't even sit back and go, wow, look at what I did today recognize when you're putting in the effort and when you're really working. For me, I have to track everything because I have the memory of a goldfish. It's terrible. I write everything down. I have to track everything. I have to. It's just what I have to do. And so for me, part of my reflecting at the end of the week is looking at my checklist and looking at what I've accomplished for the week and saying, okay, yes, I did do all of these things, but also what didn't I do that I need to make sure I get done next week. So having all those activities, it's these little things that you do every single day, being consistent with Anthony saying exactly that, that you'll start to see the big picture over time. And I think that's hard to do especially when you're new, especially when you're adjusting to a new company, you're like, what do I do all day? What am I supposed to do? I work from home. Like I have no one around me. I can't even look to see that what that person's doing or that person's doing. Sharing documents with other people for me and my SDR, what we had done was any emails that were hyper-personalized that he just needed me to look over He had this super long document, the same document every time. And he would just ping me like, added this CEO or added this company, this person, take a look. And so when I had time, because you can't stop and do everything right then and there, when I had time, I would go back to that document and then review, put some notes in, make sure that he learns from, you know, what it is that I was thinking and why. Don't just change it, you know, explain why and going that way, but you guys can work together and and try to figure out how to make things that you don't have to get this answer right away from everybody. It's also the culture too, because some places are going to expect you to answer, drop everything that you're doing and answer within three minutes. And what Anthony's saying is that you can't always do that because it does get in the way of you accomplishing those tasks. So having some sort of system in place with the people that you work closely with on how, hey, this is how you can get information from me, or this is how I can help you in a more digital format, rather than, okay, let me stop what I'm doing and call you right now, I think is another way to help save some of that time while still getting those little fires or those little panic moments or what do I do and helping those other people be successful at the same time. That's so good. And congratulations on the weight loss. That's a big milestone but it's hard to make those changes. And it's really interesting how you just related that back to sales and changing that mindset to really change the way you show up in order to get more done. I think it's really interesting. We started out with list building and qualifying and making sure that you were actually talking to people you could help. And then we moved into time blocking and being realistic on what you can actually do in a day. Cause I'm sure we've all been there. You're like, this'll take two hours. Six hours later, you're like, I was really wrong. We'll never do that again. So you adjust. But I feel like now that the reps have their list, they have a reason to call. Now they have the time to get things done. I think maybe let's shift gears for the last 20 minutes and let's talk about what should they be doing. And I, Anthony, you've had some really good posts on this recently, like your five by five and even your as an SDR, you took 15, 15 and then work that. Would you mind us diving into that? Yeah, no, I don't mind at all. So Again, my approach is always to have like a North Star goal that I can follow. So that way I can hold myself accountable. So like when I was an SDR, I was sporting two AEs in the San Francisco region, which is like, that's a lot of where like our mid-market business came from. So it was like an important territory. And so one of the months I decided to, you know, meet with my AEs and I said, Hey, out of your 120 accounts, your top 15, if I can get a meeting from this, like you're going to talk me up to your boss and be like, wow, Anthony absolutely crushed it. What would those meetings look like for you, right? So getting an understanding of what does good look like for you? Who do I need to be booking a meeting with? And can you give me some guidance on like why? What about this account makes it a good fit? So again, like have your AEs support you. You don't have to do all the research on your own. Ask them, hey, what are your top 15? And then ask them a really simple follow-up question. Why? Why this account? And then they're going to be like, oh, well, this VP just came from this company. Or they may say, well, this is a really good industry for us. Then you have a lot of good information and a 
guiding light of why you should be reaching out to this account and you can formulate your plan. So I took 15 from each of them and I focused on 30 accounts for the month. And what I did was I basically took their guidance. I had a, a doc of the accounts. I would have, hey, this is the trigger based on the account that I'm reaching out to. Then I would use Sales Navigator to find at least five people per account. And I would basically break up my weeks of selecting specific accounts to focus on. I would put them in a sequence and outreach. And then all I would do is follow my time block on those accounts, right? So like if I need to eat my tasks and outreach said, I have these emails, I would do my email block, I would do my call block. And one of the things that I also did was when I met with my AEs weekly, I would say, hey, listen, are you cool with me kind of tapping you in and CCing on these notes? And they were like, of course, because these are their top 15. And so I looped them in and we would tag team together. And so being very strategic doesn't always have to mean like super personalized. It could mean just coming up with a plan of who you're reaching out to and why. But on that same note, I was reaching out to marketing at the time. So like CMOs. There were CMOs at those top 15. I was taking the extra time and finding in my time block to do research to personalize, but making it a relevant note to that CMO because it was a top 15 account, right? So that's kind of like a little bit of the insight that I use when I was an SDR. Now as an AE, I look at, okay, how can I spend my time most effectively with everything else that I have going on? And so I thought of this idea of like the five by five, which is basically five accounts per week that I'd be targeting for outbound and then five prospects within each of those accounts. So that leaves me with reaching out to 25 new people per week. And again, that's in combination with what I'm doing as an SDR. And I wanted to give myself that North Star to hold myself accountable because I think for AEs to say they can't prospect is just false. So it's like, give yourself that North Star again to whether it's five accounts per week, whether it's two accounts per week, set a number and hold yourself accountable to it. I've seen people do like two accounts per week if you're focused on like enterprise, but five was the sweet spot. Always be adjusting as well. Those were some of the strategies that I ran and still do today. I love it. I love how it's funny when you look at people that are doing really well, how simple they make things. And you always go back to the same framework. You're not running around. You know what you need to do. And it's interesting too. One thing that you guys have not talked about at all during this is money. But every time I talk to a junior seller, the biggest thing they talk about why they do things is money. But when you tap into that intrinsic motivation of like you said, Anthony, like, what would make this week good? That's what I think you really win days is when you know you're doing the work that you should be doing, because it feels good. It gives you that security, right? Hey, I, I am good at my job. And it's interesting too. the five by five, I do something actually very, very similar. We've never talked about this. But uh, the five by five is just so simple because it just depends on how you break out your personas. Do you just start at leadership? Do you go middle management? Do you go users or do you do a blend when you do this? What does that look like on the persona level? Yeah, I can pass the most of just real. I don't know if it was for me or not, but real quick, I do. I split up with my SDR. So she'll take directors and below and I'll take VPs and above depending on what account it is. Some accounts, I let her just like do her thing but there are some accounts where we kind of divide and conquer. And I think it depends on the product you're selling. Like when I worked at Outreach, we're going after AEs to get time with them to figure out like information that we can bring up. So it really just depends on the product that you're selling. That's really good feedback. For me, I'd say that probably 90%, eh, 85% of my perfect people per company are typically in the C-suite just because I'm looking for that change maker. Sometimes that change maker doesn't sit in the C-suite, you know, and maybe they are at a director level, but it really, when I'm choosing my perfect people, I'm looking at, okay, who is a change maker? Who has done something in the past to make a change? Who actually takes action, right? Not everyone in these high positions take action. So you have to try to identify who's going to actually lead this and do something with it. And then, okay, now I have my perfect people. They could be in different positions. They could be a director. Typically, yeah, it's usually just C-suite. I want to make a change quick. And I want to talk about, you know, something that really matters to them. I heard a funny term of this gentleman was telling me how he was working through his personas. And 
It's like, you seem like you're always looking for something when you're like doing your scrubs. And he's like, yeah, I'm looking for who's retired in position and who's still working. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, how do you find that? What are you looking for? And it was really interesting how he would take the, what he was looking for in 10 Ks, trying to find those internal initiatives and then looking at who was owning it and then looking at who is their right hand and trying to map out that ripple through the organization. It was really interesting. And he actually tied it back to Nate Nisrala was putting it to an ocean graph of how communication ebbs and flows like the currents of the ocean. And so how do you change the currents by giving the right information? I was like, that is very advanced and very interesting, <laughs> but retired in position. I will take that as a check. I get that one. <laughs> <laughs> and when do you give up? Realistically, honestly, when do you give up? Because I know I was joking at Saster that I don't set me up for the generational sequences. You don't need to get my kids. It's okay. Like, when do you give up? When is the right time? Realistically, when you lose the account, <laughs> when it's not in your name. <laughs> I don't know. For me, like, I believe in nurturing people. Like, hey, now's not the time. Okay. That's not a problem. Like, let me keep nurturing and educating you because these sales cycles, they take a long time. And so how can I make them feel, you know, like they have someone to lean on when it's time for them to make this decision? You know, who are they going to pick up and who are they going to reach out to? And so it's been really nice. And one of my favorite things that happened is even when I was an SDR to have been promoted to AE and then having people back when I was an SDR that I nurtured reaching out to me when I was an AE asking for time because I continued to nurture them. I think you can back off of the boom, boom, boom outreach. But I, I think if you want to create a relationship with that person and you see something there in the future, or maybe you just love the brand, like spend an extra couple of minutes and nurture them invite them to upcoming events, you know, let them know of when, you know, there's some podcast or resource or something in their industry that you can share with them. I had a sequence that I had set up based off of personas. So each month I targeted a lot of different personas. It was care, it was operations, it was marketing, digital, all that stuff, a lot of different personas. And so each month I made sure that I nurtured that specific persona. So one month it's marketing. Okay. They're not going to hear from me for another three months or something like that. So I'll send it over to marketing. They'll hear back from me the next time I do marketing. The month after that, okay, it's going to be about operations. What industry trends can I bring in that's relevant to them, their position and talk about my product? And not every month, not every day, you know, scheduled, planned, dripped carefully not over the top. That's brilliant. And do you change the tone with that as well? Because that's one thing I've noticed with the nurture campaigns that I just as a buyer, like seeing how it comes in, do you change the tone so that it doesn't come across as salesy, that it comes across as more value driven? Well, especially if we've already met before, you know, like, hey, nice. Just wanted to check in. You know, it's a friendly, a friendly thing, a friendly reminder. We have this peer exchange coming up. Just wanted to send this over. Oh, I thought of you when I listened to this TED talk because you're super, you know, focused about women empowerment or something like that. Like anything along those lines. And that happens. I'll watch a TED talk and I'll be like, oh my gosh, that prospect from like three months ago talked about this. Let me just send this over to her. It's just being a person and like knowing the people that you're talking to and understanding them and thinking like, you know, how do I stay top of mind without being annoying? How do I stay top of mind while still building a friendship? Because every time you contact that person, you're either helping or hurting your relationship with them. You have to be smart about it. I love it. And Anthony, with outreach, how are you loading that sucker up and keeping people nurtured? Yeah, I don't really have too much to add. Not every touch needs to be like, you need to book a meeting with this person, right? Like, if you're getting the vibe that like your messaging is just not hitting, but you've got like compelling reason to reach out, maybe they're just super busy. And maybe you switch up your approach and say, hey, listen, I know I reached out to you a bunch of times. There was a specific reason why I reached out to you specifically, but just so you're aware, here are some of the resources that we have available. Maybe there's an upcoming event or, you know, maybe you mentioned 
something relevant that you saw from their LinkedIn and give them an article. Just everything that Melissa mentioned, I'll echo. But again, I think the macro theme is not every single touch to someone needs to have the intention of booking a meeting. You can, if an account's never heard of your brand, they're probably not going to book a meeting with you right away. So like give some educational content. Now, if you're reaching out to someone that's has a closed off lost opportunity in the last year, or they move over from a former customer, your messaging obviously going to be different, right? So I think look at where they're at in their buyer's journey and then have some self-awareness of, hey, maybe I need to pump the brakes a little bit. Maybe I know that they're on a competitor and they're probably, their renewals not until end of next year. And a meeting probably doesn't make sense right now for either of us, right? Just keep that in mind when you're reaching out. I don't think there's a one size fits all answer of when you should take them out of a sequence or not, but I'm a big fan of nurturing as well based on where they're at in their buyer's journey. I love how you two both went back to mental models and questioning yourself of what would build this relationship or get me closer versus ruin my brand or ruin my reputation in the market. You're asking the hard questions before you fully dive in. And I think that's why it works, right? How many times do we just go and load up a sequence and it's that's all it is? Yep. Uh, one thing I wanted to go and bring in is Andrew asked a really great question. Where do referrals fit in all of this? Is it something that's a realistic strategy you should be doing with introductions? How does it fit in? Yeah, I've never like honestly probably use referrals as much as I should. I think something I'll say to like C-level folks is like, hey, I know you're a busy CPO. Would someone on your team be better to better suited to have a conversation about this? Typically. If you're talking about and shining a light on a problem that other CPOs have, maybe they don't have the time, but maybe someone on their team does. If you don't bring that up, they're not going to be able to realize that they should intro you. So I think that's a, a fair way to ask for referrals. Like, hey, listen, even on a call. And if they're like, yeah, we're focused on retaining top talent, but like, cool, listen, I know you're a CPO and you're not going to get on a, a 30 minute call with me until we, we see if we can be a fit. Would you be opposed to, and then inserting the person's name that you know that you're going to bring up in advance, would you be opposed to me sending an email and letting me know that you sent me their way to set up some time? And I usually be like, yeah, because it's something relevant. It's something that maybe they're focused on and you made the ask, right? You made the ask. And now when you reach out to that person, you can reference that C-level exec. Be like, hey, Nicholas sent me in the subject line. Hey, chatted with your CPO. She had mentioned your focus on XYZ here at Lattice. We do A, B, and C. She said that you would be someone good to chat with about this too, right? And so they feel compelled. It's relevant. And you also name drop their boss. So they better take the meeting if that's what they were told to do, right? So I think that's something that I've done that in the past in terms of referrals, but that's really it. You know, I haven't leveraged it too much outside of that scope. Yeah. I think one thing I like is you're saying that you made the ask easy and you clarified it, which I've failed at miserably in the past. And Nate said something that was really interesting too, is he would pre-write it. And so he would actually go and write it so that they could just send it. The ghost note is really helpful, like making it super easy. But like, hey, I created this note for you to send over to your team. Would you be open to sending it? Or, hey, do you mind taking a look and cool if I send it over? Whatever. Should make it really easy for them to say yes. But again, if you're not reaching out with a relevant reason that's relative to a problem they have, they're not going to tell you that it's cool to set, you know, take their team's time. It's funny how it keeps coming back to this. Why are they on the list? Should you be calling? <laughs> One thing I just wanted to ask, where does video fit in? We have a couple minutes and I just wanted to say like, because I know a lot of us, it's text and, you know, some people getting into images and of course, a lot of voice, but what about video? Where does it fit into this and where doesn't it fit in? I mean, it doesn't fit in everywhere. It just doesn't. I tried. <laughs> when I was first messing around with it and trying to figure out, you know, how do I use this and be smart with my time? I mean, I was trying everything, right? First email, last email in the middle, LinkedIn, everything like that. And what it comes down to is understanding one, you don't have that much time and you need to be in incredibly intentional about who you're making a video for. And so for me, it's in the middle-ish of the initial outreach cycle, right? You're, maybe you haven't booked a meeting yet, but you see that you're so close. 
You know, those people where you see they've opened like every single email that you've sent out, they forwarded it, they're not answering the phones, they're not adding you back on LinkedIn. And you're like, how do I, yeah, like you're at that point of like, oh, like, like just come on, man, like just reply yes. Like you, you know, that, that moment when you're just like, what do I do? This could be amazing. That's when you send a video. It's the people that you're like, I'm totally, I just need to get to see the bigger picture. And so maybe that's in the middle for me. Honestly, my favorite is sending raw clips on LinkedIn. Once we've already connected, I've sent them a couple of emails. You know, I see that they're on there or even posting that video onto Twitter or something like that. Just getting that visibility out there. But typically I like to send it in a DM on LinkedIn where I have the thumbnail all YouTube-y like. If you ever go on YouTube and you see the people that are like a full day of eating and it's like, you know, little pictures of food and like a thought of that stuff. Well, that's what I do when I send out videos. I make it YouTube-y. I put, you know, the company. I put maybe a picture of that person. Maybe I'll put like a quote or something or anything that could, that could pull down. It's a whole picture on the thumbnail. And that's typically what gets them to actually click it and watch it because it's not just one of those Hi, John, you know, like one of those fake ones sort of thing. Like it's, it's real. They, and they see it right away that they can put the time into it. And then keeping it, of course, under 90 seconds, anything over 90 seconds is too long. But it's that moment. And I think when people have that moment, I think that that's the best indicator of like, I just am so close. How do I get them to just cross over? And I think video is a really good play for those moments. And then other plays is throughout the deal cycle. Or if they disappear and go cold, and maybe you need to invoke that emotion to remind them why they came to the meeting to begin with. What was the problem that you came here to solve? Let me evoke that emotion and bring that back. And then at the end, I would do like, it was almost like a hype video. And you know, that all I do is win, win, win. That part would come in at the end. And I would put, these are all the people. This is the success that they've experienced. It was like, copy. 700% growth company this much in all this stuff and just make it super hype at the end. So they would feel like they could come back to me or come back to my AE and reinitiate the process. Melissa, just, I noticed that we're up on time really quick. Where can people connect with you? I know Anthony, you do wicked coaching. You know what you're doing. People need to hire you. So where can they find you? Yeah. So anthonynatoli.me is my website. You can find everything there or DM me on LinkedIn and we can connect but thank you so much i do have to jump to another call but nick this is great melissa always a pleasure um and thanks for everyone for tuning in always see ya bye bye anthony take care now melissa you can find me on linkedin (laughs) that's it (laughs) yeah melissa's always posting great content great videos very responsive so if you have any questions please shoot melissa a message yes i just try to help and also i downloaded Anthony's playbook and that was pretty helpful so definitely recommend that and to close out our show today thank you so much for both you guys for coming in and it's 2022 almost 2023 it is no seller should be suffering in silence if you need help please reach out you don't need to buy anything just shoot us a comment shoot us a dm we're here to support you it's there if you need it I hope everyone has a great day did you love today's episode Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.